Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through Matrix on July the 27th, 2011. For newcomers, look into cuttingthroughthematrix.com. Help yourself to the audios which are there for free download. There's hundreds to choose from. And hopefully you'll be a bit wiser afterwards when you understand the world is not the way it's presented to you through your education or via the media. But you'll understand that literally the, the centuries are planned in advance and all the major wars that you see are only parts of strategies along the way. And uh, global warming, all this nonsense, the carbon taxes, these are all ways to bring in a big agenda for control over everyone across the planet. So I try and give you the foundations that are involved with it. The sources like the Club of Rome who came up with the idea of global warming, they said that would fit the bill. And, uh, and of course, all the other organizations, the foundations, the bankers who are involved in running the future, your future, and for those who have children, the few who do, uh, their, their future as well. Help yourself to them. And remember, too, that you're the audience who bring me to you so you can help me by buying the books and discs at cuttingthroughthematrix.com. And remember, from the U.S., you can still use a personal check to Canada, or you can send cash, or you can send an international postal money order from your post office, or you can use PayPal. You'll find the button on the com site, use that, and follow it with an email with name, address, and order. I'll get it out to you, and straight donations, believe you me, are certainly welcome. Uh, and <laughs> the dollar is still plummeting, of course, during this soap opera, the drama, which is all dragged on, really, for your benefit, not for the politicians, to make you breathe a sigh of relief when they come up with their big new plan and the dollar is halved in value. And uh, from across the world, too, remember, you can still order using PayPal. You can use Western Union or MoneyGram. And once again, straight donations are certainly welcome. Because we're in a roller coaster, that's what life is. It's a planned roller coaster. Nothing happens on a massive scale by accident. There's no such thing as employing thousands of think tanks across the planet by all your governments, and they didn't see something coming. That's impossible. They know exactly what's coming down the road, especially all the man-made things. And uh, inflation, deflation, uh, etc., is all part of it. But the big, big dramas that they display for the public as I say, for the public's benefit. They must train you that uh, you're in a massive crisis. It's all your fault, remember. It's always your fault. And they'll have to come up with drastic measures to remedy the situations. It's astonishing as you get raped and plundered over and over and over again with bankers and utterly corrupt politicians. I, I really don't believe <laughs> that you could be an honest politician and stay in politics. You'd get set up and removed. That's happened in Canada. Some politicians have actually had uh, written books about it after they got out, how they were set up and how they were, they tried to get, the others would try and coerce them into taking bribes uh, from the lobbyists, just like they were all doing. And uh, if you don't fit in, then, then of course they can't trust you because you're honest. 
An honest person is therefore untrustworthy, and they have to get rid of you. It's a it's a free for all in Congress in the U.S. as the as the politicians there jack up their salaries with lots of lobbying fees and so on. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, we're back and we're cutting through the matrix. There used to be a a program or a show on British television called Yes Minister, and it was a comedy uh, which parodied what really went on in a sense in parliaments and the the bureaucracies that deal with parliament. And in one particular episode, they showed you the, the main minister who was talking about the incredible spending that they did just hiring ministers and they did a survey on it. So he says, what did the survey say? We've got to do something about all this debt. He says, well, our survey said we need another 1,000 new bureaucrats. So they kept adding bureaucrats to the staff. And, of course, it's really jobs for the boys because you don't realize that bureaucrats in federal positions, and even in, in provincial in Canada or, and federal in the states and states, uh, legislators and so on, they get their families all involved. It's, a, it's really a family thing, a family affair. And uh, it's, it's great work because generally you can never get fired and you don't do an awful lot. And someone else, else always takes the blame for anything going wrong. But in the U.S., of course, this we know darn well this soap opera to do with is he going to get the cash, isn't he? Will, will, will America fall? Will it rise? Will it fall? Will it rise? It's like a gun getting pointed to your head all the time with all the blackmail. There's something more behind it, as you well know. There's something they want to do. And I think this is probably what it is. It says, uh, Super Congress, the debt ceiling negotiators aim to create a new legislative body. It says, debt ceiling negotiators think they've hit on a solution to address the debt ceiling impasse and the public's unwillingness to let go of benefits such as Medicare and Social Security that have been earned over a lifetime of work. Create a new Congress, the Super Congress, they'll call it, composed of members of both chambers and both parties, isn't mentioned anywhere in the Constitution, but would be granted extraordinary new powers under a plan put forth by Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell and his counterpart Majority Leader Harry Reid, uh, legislation to lift the debt ceiling would be accompanied by a creation of a 12-member panel made up of 12 lawmakers, six from each chamber and six from each party. Legislation approved by the Senate Congress, which some on Capitol Hill are calling the Super Committee, would then be fast-tracked through both chambers where it couldn't be amended by, sim- by simple regular lawmakers who'd have the ability only to cast up an up or down vote. With the weight of both leaderships behind it, a product originated by the Super Congress would have a strong chance of moving through the Little Congress and quickly becoming law. A Super Congress would be less account- accountable in the system that exists today, most of the big bankers won't, and would find it easier to strip the public of popular benefits. Negotiators are currently considering cutting the mortgage deduction and tax credits for retirement savings, for instance, extremely popular policies that would be difficult to slice up using the traditional legislative process. So anyway, I'm sure there's something to this, and this is probably why they've been dragging this out, so that the public will give a sigh of relief when they announce some new uh, highfalutin organization uh, that isn't supposed to be there at all, but they've just made it up. And you'll breathe a sigh of relief and say, oh, good, thank goodness the money will start flowing again. And there's a lot more to it, too, as you well know. But it's interesting reading down on it. 
Uh, Obama said that uh, America wasn't a banana republic. In other words, they should, they should get this extra cash that he's asking for. But, but really, when you look at some of the banana republics, they don't owe any money, some of them. And what they do owe is, is minuscule uh, uh, compared to what the U.S. owes. And by the time the U.S. is finished off, because they've still got to fight the war yet with Syria and then Iran, that's all part of the New American Century plan that's still going on with this administration, um, then America's really had it for the amount of money that they're owing across the planet to just about everybody there is. Quite something. And the corruption, too, within the U.S., it's a war-making machine, you know, the Congress. When you look at the, the people and characters involved in it, and I noticed uh, yesterday... Um, uh, someone sent me a, an email to do with Feinstein, for instance. You, you have these lifer politicians. You know, politics was never meant to be lifers, like it was a trade or an occupation. It was supposed to be a, a, a one-time thing for, for any person who went into it. How it's changed, eh? But um, it says here, um, he's talking about this, this guy who wrote into me, says it's uh, for Diane Feinstein to accuse Gaddafi of running Libya poorly, and of favoritism and graft is simply astonishing. Gaddafi was the envy of the financial world, and he was, by the way. No debt, tons of gold, oil, and a massive water projects. Uh, the U.S., on the other hand, is flat broke. An entire system is run on massive corruption and graft. And that's true. As is Feinstein is supposedly the fifth wealthiest senator in the U.S., and she makes millions and millions off the wars. Feinstein knows all about graft. Her billionaire investment banker husband, Richard Blum, has been investigated for, for getting enormous no-bid co- government contracts to do with China and the U.S. military. So this is a hypocrisy for you. And these are the guys who want you to go off and, and flatten everybody else across the planet so they can get in there and uh, all their war machinery can get in and new stuff comes in and of course they get the contracts. There's corruption for you as far as I'm concerned. It's just astonishing. But it's so open really in the U.S., isn't it? Britain's much better at that. They've had hundreds of years of hiding it behind the House of Lords. So no one knows who's getting the deals made. But the US is more open about it. So anyway, that's really what's happening. They want a new super congress in the US. And they'll probably deal with the banker boys that they borrow from and all the big bondholders. Quite something else. I noticed too that the Rothschilds family are some of the biggest bondholders for U.S. debt. They're buying it up like crazy. Anyway, as we mentioned, too, that uh, this new world order is to take over. Remember, I've gone through the agenda. Everything that you need for survival, personally, and that's food, shelter, uh, water, uh, clothing, heat, everything that you need for survival will be run by big international corporations, and they don't want you to be independent in any way whatsoever. Even with the watershed nonsense that came down quite a few years back when they were going around the country and Canada too, uh, and around town halls, uh, trying to get everyone to go along with watersheds, meaning that all water that comes down from the sky eventually flows somewhere, so it really wasn't yours. And not only that, then the Department of uh, uh, Waterways and, and Waterways should be in charge of it all, basically. And if you had a rain barrel outside your door, then really you were stealing somebody else's water because that belonged to some corporation, you know. It's, it's just astonishing what we put up with because you use different terminology than, than, than straightforward talk, you see. Now, it says, City's top economists say that the water market will soon eclipse oil. 
and it is. It's going to be one of the biggest markets there is. It already is when you've got private corporations owning the entire freshwater industry for Europe, for instance. And it says, uh, city economist William Butter tells clients to invest in the water industry, which will soon become hotter than oil. I expect to see in the near future a massive expansion of investment in the water sector, including the production of fresh, clean water from other sources, desalination, purification, storage, shipping, and transportation of water. I expect to see pipeline networks that will exceed the capacity for those for oil and gas today. I see fleets of water tankers, single-hulled, and storage facilities that will dwarf those we currently have for oil, natural gas, and LNG. I see new canal systems dug for water transportation, similar in ambition and scale to those currently in progress in China and the Yangtze River in the south to the Yellow River in the the Arab North. And then he goes into India and other countries as well. It says, water is an asset class. I expect to see a globally integrated market for fresh water within 25 to 30 years. Well, it's already working right now. It just hasn't got the whole world yet. Once the spot markets for water are integrated, futures markets and other derivative water-based financial instruments puts uh, calls swaps. Both exchange traded and OTC will follow. There will be different grades and types of fresh water, just the way we have like sweet and heavy sour crude oil today. Water as an asset class will, in my view, become eventually the single most important physical commodity-based asset class, dwarfing oil, copper, agricultural commodities, and precious metals. So that's why the big boys are into globalization as well. You understand this, is, this falls in with Karl Marx. He talks about this uh, system where one massive factory in the world somewhere would, would make all the shoes for the world, and one other massive factory would make all the refrigerators, for instance, you need. Whatever you'd actually need, one factory would make it. And at the moment, they're based most of it in China, as we well know. And China didn't pick up on that by its own, didn't get the cash to even start it on its own. They're all, even their engineers were all trained in the West. And, uh, and then, of course, we gave them all of the deals to uh, upload all the factories from the West right across to China through the World Trade Organization that our tax money helped fund. That was awful nice of us all. And most folk floated through it not even knowing that, that they were giving the biggest gifts in the planet to China so that the owners could get awfully cheaply made stuff to sell to you at a very high price. That's how the world is really planned, though. And um, I'm also putting up tonight at cuttingthroughthematrix.com with all these other links, I'll put up uh, some of the history of uh, the North American Union. And this was from 2007, but it's got all the things that have been done up until 2007. There's other sites to do with what's happened since then, because it's still ongoing as we integrate uh, the Americas. And folk don't even know. It's all true that you can show some people, some people the actual articles uh, from the meetings that they've had, these big, uh, huge meetings, and they still don't want to believe you. It's strange that, isn't it? But as soon as someone on mainstream television comes out a popular face and says the same thing, they'll suddenly believe it. And, and you can't even ask them, well, why wouldn't you believe me? And it's just strange. There's something in their head. They're trained to believe experts only or familiar faces. People in authority, in other words. And I've mentioned before about all this. All my life I've heard about uh, the population Boomers and, and, uh, and the baby boomers that they talked about from the 50s onwards, basically, and how there was going to be a massive, massive catastrophe down the road uh, when they get old. 
and they never explained why there'd be a catastrophe when they, when they get old. It would be very costly, etc. But they never said why, because, well, they'd see, they already knew in the 50s when they were publishing all this stuff, and they'd already had um, uh, the international meeting for the United Nations in Britain, uh, led off by the King of England at the time, right after the World War II, uh, that they were going to depopulate the planet. So I'll continue on that theme and tell you how it went from then on. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, we're back, cutting through the matrix, talking about population control. And as I say, towards the end of World War II, uh, the big wigs up there who, you know, the, the guys who are lords and masters, decided there was still too many of us and that World War II wouldn't kill enough off. And so they had a big meeting in London and uh, the king was there and he oversaw it. And uh, they talked about upcoming baby boomers. That was their big problem. You see, what the public didn't know, but these guys knew, is that they were going to give you a system where they'd encourage promiscuity but no children. And I've mentioned before uh, from the books of... Uh, of um, Huxley, Julian Huxley, the first N, uh, CEO of UNESCO, the United Nations, uh, where he said that very thing. He said, we'll create a, a very promiscuous society where they can do anything they want as long as they don't have children. And uh, that's happened, of course. So these guys already knew uh, that there were going to be baby boomers with no children to take care of them, in other words, all before it happened. Amazing, isn't it? You think they don't plan ahead? Of course they plan ahead. That's what the government's there for. That's what thousands of bureaucrats are there for. And they're not silly uh, buffoons. They really do uh, look into the, all this data, and they do work out the future, and they're pretty accurate. So they knew by the end of the 70s and 80s um, that there'd be very few children, and that's why they also knew uh, they'd bring in massive immigration to pay off the national debts. It was all worked out back during World War II. Amazing, isn't it? Anyway, this article here is about something similar in Australia. It says, in recent years, there's been an intense debate about the population size to which Australia should aim in the 21st century. Some argue for, for a much lower population than we have now. The environmentalist Tim Flannery, for example, has suggested that Australians might opt for a future population of between 6 and 12 million people. Others argue for a considerably larger population, and it goes on to, to the different uh, sides of the whole thing. And then they went to the demographic reality, etc., 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 and then how they'd have to bring in immigration, etc., once again, because the people in Australia are losing their fertility, it says here. Like everywhere else, you know, where civilization comes, something kicks in, and we start changing our clothing and, and wearing strange things, and, and, and guys don't really want to get married, and neither did the women either, by the way. And there's no really incentive. There's no incentive to have children anymore. You're told to have fun forever until you're going along in crutches or at the age of 60 still dressing like a youngster. But that's what they've given you as a culture. And this is all decided a long time ago. And it ties in with the Council on Foreign Relations that met in Australia in 1937 or 38. And uh, with the Institute of International Affairs, all sponsored by Mr. Rockefeller in the U.S., and they talked about this whole future world and where they would even bring the immigration from into Australia and into Britain. And they were dead on. They said they would start with India and Britain and maybe Greece and other countries for Australia. And then later on bring in uh, people from even the African countries into Australia. Uh, like a timetable. And, and you think you're just stumbling along down through time. 
and yet non-elected organizations that run your parliaments uh, have already decided before you were even born how it was all going to go. But yeah, it's amazing you're all becoming uh, infertile, but everyone apparently is having a good time, and apparently that's all that really matters, isn't it? Having a good time. And I just want to touch tonight too on all of the, the incredible criminal laws really that are happening with more and more government officials. I've got different articles on them just walking out of Parliament and Britain right into the, to the very groups that lobbied these particular characters in all of the areas that are in, in vogue now, and that's security and security machinery and war-making stuff and so on. But also I'm going to put up um, an article here to show you the, 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 the stuff that they claim is above board. Ministerial gifts, hospitality, travel and meetings with external organizations in the Ministry of Defense. And it actually names these different ones uh, and all the gifts they got from all the different countries that are lobbying them. But while they were still members of the British service, basically, it's not legal to take gifts, supposedly. I'm sure they all do it, but it's not supposed to be legal. If they do it the wise way, they'll do it like Tony Blair. You leave office and then you get rewarded with 24 seats on different boards that you don't have to attend. And you get a few million pounds right off the bat because you've been an awfully good boy. But that's the real, the real world that we do live in. It's just astonishing. And I want to touch too on regionalism just before going to callers. Governor Como uh, lead, uh, launches Long Island Regional Economic Development Council. This is a copy of Britain for the regionalism there. I hope you realize that's what it is. And it says, um, Council will drive local economic development and improve business climate uh, statewide. Long Island Regional Council to be led by Stuart Rabinowitz and Kevin Law, it says here. So that's to kick it off there for New York and all across the rest of the U.S. states as well. It's pretty well the same as I can see. That's building houses, everything. That looks like regionalism and communitarianism. To me, jobs as well. Jobs for those areas. So that's communitarianism. And again, unelected councils. So there you are. It's, it's pretty well there as well. Now, there's callers on the line. There's Lucretia from Oregon. Are you there, Lucretia? I am, Alan. Thank you. Yes. Yes, I wanted to ask you a couple questions um Dealing with scalar energy or, or HARP, and I guess my first question was, you know, you mentioned in your, your incredible books that are ten times deeper than all the wonderful programs you've done. I mean, boy, I just grew so much. I really encourage everybody that loves you to buy both of your books. They're amazing. But you mentioned Nicole Tesla, and, you know, Nicole is like Nicholas, St. Nick. But what is Tesla? You said there was something to the last name. What was Te- it? Tesla is like the it's like the tesserated floor of the Masonic Lodge. Some of them say tesserated and some say tesselated, and even Albert Pike argued over it. It's to do with the black and the white, uh, the good, the evil, the dark, the light. Uh, that's what it's really to do with. But hold on, we'll come back after this. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. We're back. This is Cutting Through the Matrix, talking to Lucretia about uh, Nikola Tesla, basically, uh, a mysterious guy that I'm sure 
the story we're given about him is awfully, is, is very superficial, obviously, because I really don't believe that a, a man can comes out of nowhere and just knows exactly what he wants to do, knows it's going to work, and has to invent a whole bunch of electronic gadgets to make the main gadget. For the, and so he makes all these for the first time, all these supercapacitors and so on, uh, just to make his main gadget. And uh, and we'll never even know who, who really I think who, who he really really was. I don't I don't think so either. And I heard you on Alex yesterday saying that maybe there are a couple hundred years ahead of us. But um, yep. I know in your books you think they're bringing these technologies back back out. You know that are maybe thousands of years old. But I, I guess my 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 question is. Um, I had heard Dr. Judy Wood a number of times. I actually um, went to the site, Dr. Judy Wood, and first watched the video with with uh, John Hutchinson. And have you met John Hutchinson or talked with him? Because he supposedly has reproduced a lot of Nikola Tesla's um, items, including floating a 70-pound um, cannonball using frequencies that repel. Yeah. Make it weightless. Have you have you talked with him? No, but I've seen a bunch of videos from different people across the world who are into this particular area of science who have done the same thing. So uh, it, it seems to be an old technology. We forget, for instance, even that one of the favorite hobbies of Benjamin Franklin was playing with electricity. You know, we tend to think it's more of a 20th century thing, which it wasn't. And uh, and Franklin was playing with it and batteries and trying to find useful purposes for it. And that was the end thing in the 1700s and even before. So Eltris has been around for a long, long time. And we've got to realize that even the ancient Romans, uh, Benjamin Franklin, see, if you're a Mason uh, at that time especially, a Mason longed to be known as a scientist. That was the end thing in the 1700s. So you had Jefferson who was into uh, inventing things, quite, a, quite important things, and of course Franklin too. And uh, they eventually put the lightning rod after Franklin, but they borrowed that because the Romans had lightning rods. And they used to, they used to have one in the Temple of Jupiter. And, uh, and on certain nights when it was really overcast, like it gets here and very warm, you know, there's a thunderstorm coming, people would flood into the temple to watch the display. And sometimes lightning would strike the, the rod, and then the, the big idol of Jupiter would, would light up, you know. And it actually has in the history books at one time about five or six of these priests were all holding hands and touching the, the, the big idol when it got struck with lightning and they all got killed. So that was quite a display. But anyway, I mean, so it's, that's as old as the hills, electricity. And as I say, there's no doubt about it. They've, they have found batteries, legitimate batteries, made of clay, and they've, they've got um, leads and copper um, plates in them. And uh, to just like a modern car battery, add the acid and wire it up and up on go the lights. I mean, so they, they had this. Yeah. Did, did you watch the video? It's called The New Hiroshima, the Dr. Judy Wood. There, there's there's a number of other buildings that I had no clue, like 3.5 or 4.5 and 6, that are totally gone, and there's 60-foot holes. It's like they evaporated those buildings, and literally the dust floated into the air and away. They literally, every, everything was removed. Yeah, well, even the stories have been removed. <laughs> I mean, the day that they started bombing Libya, it's as though it had never happened. Japan just disappeared from the news media. But I noticed yesterday that they're an awful mess in Japan, and no one's offering them aid. But no, no, I understand that, Alan, but I'm just saying, you know, we heard about Towers 1, 2, and some people heard about 7, you know, being yeah. demo, you know, demoed or brought down. 
But we didn't hear about like three, four, and five where the buildings are gone. And, yeah. and even building one and two, you can hear uh, George Stephanopoulos that day saying, God, there's no building and there's only like a two, three inches of dust. And supposedly the dust went down to one hundredth of a red blood cell as far as the size. There was no dust left. And cars were either disrupted and turned over, but perfectly fine, paint and everything normal, or they were totally toasted and wasted and rusted, and even anything steel on them was gone. Was yeah, I, I, I do know that. So I do know that the whole thing stunk. But, there was uh, something in the dust, and there was something that they used, some scalar or whatever, that just literally repelled all particles, and they just became dust and, and then floated up and evaporated. Mm-hmm. Well, the technology is certainly there, and uh, I know that when it happens um, in, in the U.S. with the, the great bombings that went on there, that um, the same thing happened there. Now, personally, I've got a different theory what happened in the U.S. I think that the first attempt at bombing the towers a few years prior to that, um, I do know that the company they got in to try and reinforce any damage and actually go through the whole buildings for a few years, actually. I think they were the ones who planted all, all of the, the special new explosives. And I think they were done a, a, few, a few years beforehand. And they just sat and waited for the right time and then blew up the buildings with, when the aircraft approached and went into them. That's, that's my opinion, because there's no way, as I say, and, and it goes against all science. You cannot simply evaporate steel uh, just like that. It just doesn't happen. The, it was a few months later, in fact, in Brazil, a plane went into a high-rise there, also made by the same group uh, that built that. They happened to be the Ben Laden group, by the way, <laughs> in, in the Bush Consortium. And uh, the plane went into it. There was a fire on one floor, and that's all that happened. It, it didn't come down and melt and, and all of that, no. Well, I'm wondering, through the satellites, I know on the Illuminati card deck, they say the satellites don't just report the weather, they make the weather, and John Hutchinson said the satellites are putting out frequencies that are killing the trees. Well, I don't know about killing the trees, but uh, the satellites, the, war, the Star Wars program, when it first came out, um, had a lot, of, a lot of information put in the media at the time, and they did say that these could be arrayed, satellite arrays, and they could certainly be used for new kinds of... Uh, um, particle beam weaponry uh, to be used on enemies. So uh, I'm, I'm sure if we knew what was uh, floating up around space around here, we, we wouldn't sleep at night at all, to be honest with you. It's that bad, I think. Yeah. Well, thanks. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think 9-11 was a lot scarier, though, than I think it's way more in, in far scarier technology than, than we realize. Oh, yeah. They'll, they'll always have way advanced technology. They'll show you the latest uh, stealth fighter uh, and even when they showed us the first stealth fighter during the Bosnian uh, war, um, you look into the records, and they actually had it for 30 years prior to that, before we knew about it. So it's the same with everything. Uh, and when they show you the latest one, I'm sure they've got a nice little uh, beautiful um, uh, UFO from Area 51 that probably does a better job of it that they won't use just yet. <laughs> But that's the world you're living in. Uh, it's, and during warfare, too, it's the same thing. All you're, The first people who must be told the lies are your own people. Well, this is the, the latest gadget we've got, because it's your own people who start talking, and then the enemy find out. So they never tell, you never tell your own people just how far ahead you are. You never, ever do that. Uh, and they, they keep us in the dark. But uh, on the weaponry side of things, I mean, 
uh, you don't even want to go into it and even into the Jane's magazine, the military magazine of all the stuff they're working on because you'll have nightmares, honestly. I hear you, and I know in your book you said uh, Shakespeare said the world is a, is a stage, and they certainly do set up their stages for giving yes. us our reality. Well, they gave us a show. They gave us a show. There's no doubt about it. But but uh, thanks for calling it, and I'll try and take Larry now from Louisiana if he's hanging on there. Is Larry still there? Hi, Alan. Can you hear me okay? I, I can, yep. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Uh, you know, with all this shooting going on around, uh, I think it's well understood that uh, nobody is responsible for your personal safety except for you. Mm-hmm. No matter how much you pay the policy enforcement agents. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is... And you don't have to answer this if you think I'm getting too personal. What is your view on the use of a firearm to defend yourself and the lives of your family? Well, I'll give you the Canadian perspective first, right? <laughs> the, the, the official Canadian perspective is you're allowed to use just enough force to defend yourself and your family, but no more than just enough force. That's how it's, it's cloudily worded, in other words. We have had cases in Canada where people have defended themselves from burglars breaking in, and uh, one guy uh, fell down and, and during the burglary uh, by himself. He wasn't knocked down, and he cut his, his, his legs, and he sued the people for having broken glass. They were working on something inside the house at the time, so he sued successfully. They've tried to demoralize the people so much by saying, oh, you can't do anything. In other words, that in Canada, you can almost legally stand there and allow yourself to be murdered. That's, that's a good Canadian. That, that's a definition of a good Canadian. But obviously, obviously, nature being nature, never mind politics and agendas, nature being nature, uh, you should be you, able to use ultimate force. Yeah. Ultimate force. Now, uh, I heard a, a doctor uh, had a doctorate, and he worked at a Mennonite. He was a, one of the big teachers at a Mennonite university saying, oh, he would never use a gun to defend himself. Uh, now... Isn't it the democracies and the policy enforcement agencies and things like that, isn't that what's come through to disarm the people at large? He, he, he applauded the president up there, I think, Norway, because the president said we're going to get more democracy and uh, more uh, safety, in other words, more police. Uh, but isn't that the exact thing that disarms the people and makes them soft targets? That guy wasn't ready to die that day. He's not dead. Okay, and what are you going to, they'll be the first ones that are like a burden on society, these people that won't use firearms. They'll be the first ones to call the policy enforcement agent, which is what, 90 minutes away? So the carnage is done before they ever get there. The police, the police aren't really there to, to save life, understand. The, the, the police are there to, to report a crime and arrest someone. That's all they're there to come for. They don't care who's right, wrong, or anything else. They just come to, to arrest someone for, for a crime. It doesn't matter who it is. And uh, often it's the caller, actually, who gets arrested. Uh, and uh, However, you've got to look into the United Nations Treaty that was signed by the U.S., Canada, and all the countries uh, back in the 60s. And it was, um, uh, it, was a, a, for, it was complete disarmament for a peaceful world. And in there, it meant complete disarmament. The U.S. president signed it, Britain, everybody else signed it too. And it literally meant that the, the only authority that will have the, the use of ultimate force, that means to, to kill, will be the United Nations. That's the goal we're heading towards right now, in fact. 
and and uh, the people themselves will have no right whatsoever even to defend themselves. Uh, that's basically written into that, that law, that treaty that was signed at the United Nations. I'll try and find that link tonight and put it up on the website, cuttingthroughthematics.com. But it's, uh, it's, for, it's for complete disarmament in a peaceful world. And the only ones who can use authority on beha- or force on behalf of the United Nations are your, reg- your recognized uh, police forces and, and so on. But an individual technically would have to allow themselves to be murdered uh, or at least fight back with maybe a, a matchsticks or something. I don't know if you're allowed to have matches or, or, or maybe a, a club. But if you hurt that person, believe you me, um, even if they come into your home in the middle of the night and uh, uh, raped your children, if you hurt them, uh, the laws, and literally, well, they'll spend about two months in court trying to figure out uh, just how much force you used to, to try and save yourself or your family and, and decide if it was too much or whatever. That's how crazy it is now. But it's to teach. See, the whole world has been taught a lesson right now uh, that we're, we're all at the bottom, the bottom level, all the junk gene people, that's all of us. Uh, we're not up there, you see, with the multi-billionaires. Um, we'll squabble with ourselves anyway. That's what they're taught. There'll always be domestic violence, there'll always be different squabbles, breaking out drunks, uh, drugs, that kind of thing, jealousies, uh, neighbors fighting, and, and that's the way it's seen. They don't come in and say who's right and who's wrong. They just see a bunch of folk arguing, they'll arrest the whole lot of them. That's, that's all they care about now. And they take that now as part of their training. That's a normal given for them. So, uh, but in the end, when it comes to deadly force, uh, the, the United Nations is to be the only one eventually allowed to use it. Well, that really is just a complete form of insanity. And if you do not meet deadly force with deadly force, that is firearm against firearm, and your family's blood comes running on the ground, then it is on your hands. Well, technically, I don't think you'd even live with yourself, could you? You know, you couldn't live with yourself knowing you did nothing. Exactly. Thank you, Alan. Appreciate your program. And thanks for calling. And now there's Bob from Texas there. Are you there, Bob? Hello. Hello, Alan. Thank you for yes. taking my call. Mm-hmm. Uh, a quick couple of questions. Um, I've been reading, you know, since uh, we're here, uh, nosediving into uh, communism, I got a book on quotations from Chairman Mao Zedong. Uh, interesting. I got it, happened to get it at a used bookstore. But uh, it's so prophetic. Uh, you know, I'm sitting here, and I'm, it's like I can, and then I also uh, got uh, Karl Marx and Frederick Engels' uh, The Communist Manifesto, and it's, you know, you can, it's like a checklist. You can just check off everything that, that's happening to where we are becoming, mm-hmm. or actually we are yeah. in some very, you know, initial stages of uh, Marxism. Oh, you're, and, you're beyond that. And then I was wondering, too, you know, what are we to do with this? You know, you know about this. I, I am, what I'm doing is I'm, I'm writing all this stuff down, mm-hmm. and I'm putting in things that are happening today yep. to kind of show people, look, this is what's happening. I'm doing this at work. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't care if they think I'm a nut or whatever. Yep. Uh, and also, there was a thing in here, and, you know, you uh, being in Canada would uh, – there was something, uh, Norman Bethune. Yes. Uh, I mean, Mao praised him, uh-huh. but then, you know, you know, he was like the author or the pusher of socialized medicine for, for Canada mm-hmm. and kind of wanted as the hero. 
Yep. But then he wound up dying, which I think, you know, he, well, they said he died of, of uh, you know, blood poisoning by operating on troops and so forth. But I kind of wonder if he didn't start seeing some things. And, you know, because the author of this book was killed in a weird plane crash. You see what I'm saying? It's like oh, once yeah. they come into some sort of truth, all of a sudden they die. Yeah, well, Norman Bethune it was, a, it was the great hero, they say, of Canada, who went off to help the communists. And uh, they, they have statues of him in Toronto parks alongside uh, Mao Zedong and different uh, Chinese leaders, literally in Canada. And they went up, all these statues went up in the time of Pierre Trudeau, who was a prime minister here, who also was a communist. But he ran under the liberal, like um, Khrushchev says, they don't call him communist in this country. Here we call him liberal. And uh, and uh, he was a communist because he was a young communist leader for the common turn for Canada. And, he, and Trudeau led the Canadian delegation over to Moscow in 1952. Every newspaper knew that at the time, but when, it, when Trudeau ran for office, none of them happened to mention that fact. So uh, up went all the statues to the communists across Canada. You know, you know, Mao, he said, in memory of Norman Bethune, yeah. uh, December 21, 1939, what kind of spirit is this that makes a foreign, foreigner selflessly adopt the cause of the Chinese people's liberation for his own? That's, That's correct. correct. I mean, this, is a, when you read this, this book is incredible. Yes, another one is a book called you Can, you Can Trust the Communists. Read that one, too. You can trust the communists. Very interesting. Thanks a lot, Alan. Back after this. Hi, folks. We're back, cutting through the matrix, and there's Frank. Loves Frank there. Hello. Is Frank there? shed any light on the uh, significance of the name Ford uh, yeah. as far as the uh, Ford Foundation and the different fronts and whatnot that are always mentioned. Uh, Ford I, Foundation? I, yeah, yeah the, the, the Ford Foundation. I'm, I'm always hearing about the Ford Foundations are sponsoring this and that uh-huh. internationally and in the United States and uh I'm not talking about the modeling agency or the Ford Motor Company, but uh, is is there not some significance to the Ford Foundation? Yes, I think the Ford Foundation, it still goes under the Ford Foundation, but I think the same board that runs um, the Rockefeller Foundation took it over. They manage it today. Okay, I was just wondering where the name Ford came from. I, I was assuming that was not Henry Ford. Uh, I'm not sure if it was, but it was definitely made up, um, I think, um, after he died, regardless. And it it may have been and taken over eventually because all of these, uh, multi-millionaires set up, uh, foundations for charitable purposes, supposedly, uh, which was a sort of tax write-off for them. And that was the reason they started them off. However, I do know that the Ford, uh, was taken over by the same board members ultimately as the Rockefeller Foundation. And some of them also sit on the boards of Carnegie and Guggenheim Foundations as well. Okay. Yeah. Okay, thank you, Alan. Yeah, thanks for calling. And it's really strange that that um, you'll have the same people chair-hopping from one board to the other, but it's really the same people going doing a round uh, and in charge of billions and billions of dollars and, and funding non-governmental organizations. They end up lobbying government 
Uh, and this, this is really what they now call democracy. Those with the biggest lobbying groups that appear to come from the populace are really um, funded and run by foundations which comprise the parallel government, as they say. But thanks for calling, everybody. And uh, from Hamish, myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me. Your God, your God, go with you.